Hey Leonardo. Hey, hi Marcus. How are you? Yes, yes. I'm I'm doing okay. And you? I'm doing okay. Look, you know, actually, I'm not doing okay because if I don't travel, I don't doing okay. I am only doing okay. I mean, I feel myself and I can travel. Yeah, uh, of right. course, like a couple of last travels that I did, we met. You know, uh, you know, on my two uh, trips after so long time, you know, in a, almost in a year and a half between mm -hmm. March and uh, 2020 and uh, uh, early July uh, 2021. That's like uh, 15, 16 months I didn't travel. Then when mm -hmm. I travel, I went to Italy for my sister's 50th birthday. Then we had a chance to meet before I went down to Southern Italy, North Italy, where we recorded Truce. Then I came, went to Spain and then back to New York. Then I went to Spain and Italy again. And then we met again. We yes. made a couple of uh, you know, a couple of days of recordings. Uh, I was there also with another artist, Beledo, mm -hmm. and you were with Gary Husband. And uh, see, my two international trips were very good for uh, me and you, and also for Beledo and Gary Husband and uh, Asaf and uh, Fabri and Fabio uh, Fabio Trentini yeah. and my new friends uh, over there in Spain. But, you know, it's good. I you know. As you know, like traveling is uh, what I like the most. You know, I enjoy staying here, but you know, I work, I have things to do. It's a little bit too much lately because things mm. are uh, accumulating after a long uh, pause of uh, not doing so much uh, because yeah. there was nothing to do. Uh, you were just waiting, waiting. And now suddenly there is a lot of things to do. But it's okay. I, 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 I'm able to handle, you know. With all my uh, mental uh, dyslexia and uh, and uh, lack of focus, you know, somehow I'm I'm doing uh, kind of okay. I cannot complain. So remember the last time we spoke, like the first part, let's say, of all our conversation for my podcast. Um, I I called the episode uh, the, like the first thirty years or something, and then I realized, okay, it was only the first twenty nine years. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because when you when you arrived in New York, like speaking will, of traveling, right? That was that was in ninety one, right? Yeah, ninety ninety. In ninety, actually. Yeah, it okay. was twenty eight. Yeah, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a big uh, big move uh, in my life, you know, because I I uh, it was probably the biggest. Uh, and most important decision that I ever, ever made in my life because I decided to quit my past. Mm -hmm. uh, see, I never was a person who was living from the past, but I was living in environments where other people were uh, implying to you to live from the past. And uh, since I was uh, aware of myself in, uh, in the puberty and, uh, and after that, when I started thinking with my brain and discovering things in the world, I I always knew that the past it, it's great to acknowledge the past, but there is only one thing: future. But when you live in certain kind of environments, when they, you are constantly bombarded with the implications of the past, then and then you don't feel good. I, I I'm talking about myself. You know, everybody is different. And then I decided to make a major break. Uh, I didn't came to New York as uh, uh, most of the people come to USA. I wasn't an uh, economic refugee. I wasn't uh, fearing uh, uh, my government. Uh, I didn't came from a, a country that was poor or uh, decimated by uh, natural disasters of uh, very bad economy and uh, dictatorial regimes. I came from Italy, 
from southern Italy, I had an excellent life. You know, I, I couldn't complain. You know, I was in southern Italy 310, 320 sunny days a year, you know, like uh, 100 degrees, like the whole summer. You, you don't, in the summertime, you don't see a cloud for three, four months. Beach like uh, 10 minutes from uh, 50 minutes by car from where I live. Uh, amazing food, good friends. But something was missing in my life. Uh, maybe that kind of uh, southern Italian kind of uh, provincial life, which uh, it's good for certain people, and maybe it's good for people if they are a little bit older. But for me, that I was kind of volcano in eruption wasn't enough. I just needed to split, to quit, split and quit my past from my past. And also, I had a not very easy relationship with my mother and. Uh, it was all sort of uh, 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 kind of things like, you know, like uh, failed loves, you know, just because I was rejected by, by some people because I wanted to be myself. And uh, in certain uh, societies like uh, Southern Italy, as much is a, a great place to be if you are fitting into that thing. Uh, it's very difficult to be completely and truly yourself an independent person because you will always have to uh, do things that to please other people to mm -hmm. please the society environment mm -hmm. and uh, I needed just liberation from myself now I don't mind like now I'm almost 60 next year and if I go to live see my plans are to live in Spain if I go to live it's completely different because I'm a made man I'm a mature person then I don't mind that but for a person who didn't have a happy emotional and um, and uh, family life because of family dysfunctions and all other stuff that uh, there is no necessity necessity to talk about that like I, I i simply needed to to go and uh, and i came to new york i didn't speak any english i didn't have any paperwork i knew only one person and uh, and I love it because uh, that person was my friend for uh, since 1980. We were college roommates in uh, former Yugoslavia and uh, in the early 80s when I lived for a couple of years in Belgrade. And uh, he was very uh, good to me because he let me stay in his place for a couple of months, three months. Then I had to go to Santo Domingo because I, I as a European citizen, you cannot stay more than three months in USA. You cannot uh, extend visa. There is no visa. It's a visa waiver. You know, if you are coming from, uh, I don't know, from uh, Botswana or uh, or uh, or, or uh, Brazil or Honduras or uh, Russia, then you can extend visa up to one year. But if you are coming from Euro European community or you are coming from Japan, Australia, these countries, you know, you don't need visa, but you can stay only three months. And I stayed three months with him. Then I went to Santo Domingo because his future wife then girlfriend still wife it's from san domingo i had amazing time for a couple of weeks and i came back and then he told me look you know you if you want to live in the city you have to fight this is not for everybody and that's what i needed i needed a kind of big punch in my face big punch in my like to um to defeat my fears and i then i discovered that i'm not a guy who was uh, suffocated by fears and uh, uncertainties, which I uh, like uh, had like uh, in my first 28 years. 
Then I figured out that in a very quick time that I'm a man of courage. And mm -hmm. I didn't know that. And, uh, and I just started from zero. And that was amazing thing because uh, I started from zero only once when I was born. And it wasn't a lucky or a fortunate moment for me. It was always uh, unfortunate for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Uh, and, uh, but when I came to New York, I was on my own. See, I'm not a big fan of libertarian philosophy, especially the right-wing philosophy of libertarianism here in the USA. But uh, my uh, uh, desire to be on my own does have nothing to do with that. It's just my personal, emotional, philosophical, and spiritual need. And mm -hmm. uh, there were, I believe that there was only one city in the world that, can, uh, that was able to offer me. It's New York City. It's not USA. It's not uh, Oklahoma. It's not Los Angeles. It's nothing else. It does have nothing to do with any country. It has to do with a big city that uh, forces you to be yourself. Otherwise, you have to leave because uh, you are incapable. This is very ferocious city. Unless you come with, uh, very prepared with a lot of money, with a job, a good job, then you start working, like, you know, and then you are already. But if you come without zero, this is a very tough city, but that's exactly what I needed. That's exactly what I wanted. That's exactly what made me a strong person. And I believe that after uh, 59 years of my life, I consider myself a very, very strong person. And uh, of course, I have my uncertainties, my, uh, my, uh, you know, like my fears, like, you know, but I'm able to overcome everything because I really, uh, you know, that was my PhD uh, life. You can have uh, 10 PhDs at universities. Uh, there is nothing compared to the life. And uh, that was me. You know, due to circumstances in my life, I came to New York, and due to other circumstances and environment, I became who am I now. Uh, I don't believe that will be uh, possible anywhere else. When I lived in Bari, South Italy, I wanted to live in uh, Rome, in big city or going to Paris or something like that. I never thought I would be going to New York. Uh, but when I decided in uh, between 88 and 89 to go, I wasn't, I was a little bit, uh, I'm not saying scared, but you know, I was suspicious if this is for me. But, but a couple of friends of mine encouraged me to go. And my friend from New York, actually he's also from originally from Bosnia. They encouraged me. When I came, like, you know, uh, in a matter of days or months, I found myself. It wasn't easy for the first uh, several years, but then you figure it out. And, uh, and then I realized that my whole life uh, prior to coming to New York was always figuring out. Uh, also, I had to deal with uh, my uh, certain kind of problems that I, I actually never cured. I'm, uh, uh, I have a sort of dyslexia since I was born. And uh, I grew up with uh, uh, old uh, grandparents, maternal grandparents. In those days, like, you know, they, they didn't know, like, uh, you know, my problems because I was a quiet guy. I wasn't talking about myself, but I was always fighting with that. Then when I stayed in Africa for five, six months in uh, 88, in 87, 88, I got malaria, then which... Uh, uh, you know, and then I, I suffered consequences of malaria. That's a long story. And uh, when I went, came back from Angola to Italy, I was sick for four or five months. And actually, 
I'm not saying that I lost uh, memory and lost capability of speech, but I had difficulty to speak. Mm-hmm. And I had difficulty to think, and I had difficulty to uh, focus. Because I had to leave Italy in 1990, I never took care of it. But uh, what took care of, of, of that, it was my life. Because I had to fight for my life in New York, in that, and, and I never uh, was thinking how to fix my, my, uh, my health problems. It's, it's a sort of health problem. And I was always was able, maybe because I'm uh, very intelligent, but intelligence doesn't ha- help all the time. Maybe I have kind of a predisposition, natural predisposition to survival and uh, to improvise in life. I was able to uh, to uh, hide this uh, tremendous uh, handicap that I had. Mm-hmm. That uh, very few people notice that because. Uh, and I still have that, you know, I still cannot focus properly. Uh, I am all over the place. Somehow at the end, everything happens. Everything is organized. It's kind of chaos. Like it's kind of Ornett Coleman <laughs> playing the music. There is a kind of this free jazz chaos and everything is over. But somehow I noticed that actually that was my advantage because I never was able to think as everybody else. See, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that I never drove a car in my life it's not because I didn't like cars, because I understood when I was 15, 16, 17, 18 years old and later that I cannot drive cars. I cannot do certain things. And I have this kind of uh, natural uh, thing that I always, I'm always able to avoid uh, uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, d- difficult and dangerous situations. When I see that situation is not very good for me, I kind of, back up and, and go somewhere else. And I noticed that, that you know, cars are not for me because I believe if I drove a car, I will cause a car a- a accident. You know, I will kill myself or kill people. <laughs> then I decided I will never drive a car because uh, I, I'm incapable to drive a car. And uh, even, you know, it's not a matter of learning how to drive, just it's a matter of focusing, concentrating because I cannot, you know, my brain is all over the place. And, uh, but then, do you know, you, like, uh, you know, do, these do things you, do, I was never Leo, able to... Leo, do you, do you remember uh, buying the ticket to fly to New York? Yes, I remember. Can you tell I, me about I, it? Uh, Yeah, this is how it's happened. Like, I, I was actually doing well in Italy. Uh, uh, I, uh, I was working as a translator, speaking uh, my first native language, Serbo-Croatian or Serbian-Croatian, whatever it's called today, like who knows, <laughs> complicated country for Yugoslavia, and speaking my second native language, Italian, and then learning the new language, Portuguese. Uh, I was fluent in those three languages, and then I, I was working as a translator, uh, you know, like in, uh, in sports fields and also at the court, and, uh, and I was doing okay. But then at a certain point, because of my kind of dyslexia and these kind of things, you know, I wasn't able to do certain kind of things to translate in just kind of written things. And then I get less and less money. And of course, I, even though I lived with my uh, mother and my stepfather, my sister, I, uh, you know, at a certain point, I didn't have uh, good finances. Of course, I was spending a lot of money on, on LPs. That's another story. And a couple of uh, travels. But then a friend of mine who is very important person in my life, Vittorino Curci, 
and uh, I can tell about him a little bit later because it's very important. He, uh, when I wanted to leave my house because I wasn't in good relation with my mother, it was suffocating me. I was hoping that uh, Vittorino will help me because he had all possibilities, capabilities to help me, to uh, give me a job which will allow me to continue to study and to leave house. But he didn't do that for one simple reason, because he was my friend, because he wanted me to leave, not my home. He wanted me to leave Southern Italy. And then he gave me 500,000 liras, which uh, it's equivalent of maybe um, five, six hundred dollars in those days. I don't know, like, you know, it's mm -hmm. uh, like that's before euros. And he said, look, Leonardo, this is from me. You don't have to return money. Maybe one day buy me something from New York or something, you know. This is for you. Please go. Because your friend Ivan is uh, uh, looking, for, uh, like, uh, looking for you. Uh, New York will be good for you. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, um, you know, amateur uh, free jazz musician, sax player and a poet and a wealthy uh, businessman uh, who was running with his older brother, extremely successful company and living in a in a little town close to a little town outside of Bari where I live. And he was also a promoter of uh, avant-garde and free jazz festivals in Southern Italy. And uh, he was my friend with whom I was going to eat, chat, listen to the music, but he wanted me to leave. See, this is what friends do, like, you know, yeah. rather than friends because you please leave. This is little money and buy the ticket and go. And I remember buying a, a ticket with the TWA, doesn't exist anymore. I went to Rome for a couple of days. I met a couple of friends. I met my professor of Brazilian uh, literature who was teaching in Bari, uh, but he was living in Rome. And uh, then on uh, August 11th, I went to Fiumicino, Leonardo da Vinci Airport, which is an amazing name. My name is Leonardo and that's Leonardo da Vinci Airport. And I and I flew to New York. And when I came, my friend uh, Ivan was waiting for me. And it was a beautiful day. But then it started being kind of very muggy and, and humid. And then uh, we were driving from JFK through, uh, uh, toward Manhattan. And, uh, and when I saw Manhattan, I said, wow. And then he lived in Upper Manhattan in a uh, neighborhood called Inwood. That's uh, north of uh, George Washington Bridge, north of uh, uh, Washington Heights. And uh, he had an apartment that he was renting with his then girlfriend and wife. She's from Dominican Republic. But he just bought a, a Benetton store in Fort Lee, which is just across George Washington Bridge in New Jersey. We went there. But then a big rain came. And then we couldn't go to Manhattan, to lower Manhattan to eat. And we went to a Chinese restaurant. And the next day, he said, okay, I will take you to Manhattan. And we went to Manhattan, and I, I was looking around, and said, wow, this is something. I was a little bit kind of, ooh. Like, I, I've been to big cities, like to Paris, and, and Bar Madrid, Barcelona, Milano, Rome, like, you know, and London, you know, but you coming to New York, is a different uh, deal, you know. <laughs> and then, and that's how I started life, you know, and uh, he and was a good friend to me. So you didn't speak a single word of English, or no, did you have some? No, nothing? I, I uh, you know, nothing. I, 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 like, you know, thank you, like, you know, please, or, you know, you know, look, you know, or the words that you are learning from, uh, from, uh, 
from uh, rock songs, uh, from uh, from from your albums, like you know, <laughs> like you know, I I knew the meaning of the titles of the albums, but I didn't I didn't speak any English. I had to learn, you know, with all my incapability uh, to learn. I had to learn. It took me three years, four years to learn English because, you know, uh, with this kind of uh, little handicap that I had, it, it, it wasn't easy in the beginning. But you know, but I, I succeeded. Mm -hmm. wow. That was it, you know, and that was great thing, you know, like that was. Uh, I felt the second day or third day. I, I thought, I saw, said to myself, that this is the place I want to live. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember when we were in a college uh, roommates in uh, 80, 81, 82 in Belgrade, we had a little map of uh, Manhattan because my stepfather, Italian stepfather Mario, he came to New York to visit in 1969. He brought a lot of brochures. But one of the things that you know, he brought from USA was a map of Manhattan. And we had that map I took from Italy when I was visiting my mother in Italy. I took to Belgrade and I put on on the on the on the um, on the wall, and uh, because we were both uh, fans of music and blues and jazz and rock, uh, you know, and and say, wow, one day we will go to New York. He went in 1985, me in 19, uh, 1990. Because for me, New York was New York. It wasn't USA. Look, this is a great country, but. Uh, you know, I, I, I insist in that. I didn't come to USA. I came to New York. Mm -hmm. uh, th that's very important to say because not I don't have nothing against any country in the world. But uh, I came specifically to to live and stay in New York. And uh, I am very happy. Like, uh, I, I don't think me and you will ever meet if I didn't come to New York. Mm -hmm. You will not know about me. Probably I will not know about you. Or who knows what will happen. See, like uh, coming to New York, your world become, uh, became, my world became uh, much, much larger, bigger, which means yeah. it became smaller because it's smaller because you can read so many people, so many destinations and bigger because uh, you, uh, it's, the world is big, you know, and, and there is uh, so much to discover. Uh, I don't know if I stayed in Southern Italy, if I will be able to discover so many thing, things, to discover so many people. For me, uh, meeting people is the most important thing because I am a good student of life and I like to talk to people and I learn from older guys. Uh, and now that I reach certain age, I have uh, several friends that are younger than me and I like to talk to them about my experiences. It's like it was the same thing uh, when, I, when I was younger and uh, my friends with whom I was listening to music uh, they were like 10, 12, 15, 16 years older than me. And now it's kind of, uh, I have many friends that are like kind of in their 30s and 40s. And it's great, you know, like, you know, then uh, I don't know everything, but I know a lot. And uh, I still want to learn a lot. I want to travel to so many other countries and revisit countries that I already visited to meet new people, to meet uh, uh, old friends, make new friends and that's the purpose of my life right now. Like, you know, learning, learning, learning to, to be richer and, uh, and uh, more educated about life when you are traveling and meeting people and especially in the things that I like, which is uh, travels, music, arts, uh, food, you know, friendship, you know, good wine and, you know. So, Leonardo, a lot of 
like most people who may be you know watching this will will know you as the uh, moonjun guy and yeah. moonjun moonjun started um about 20 years ago right like yeah to 2000 uh, yeah 2000. Uh, uh, between 2000 2001 yes so so it is very interesting to maybe today we can focus on the 10 years or 11 years you know that you spent in new york before you actually um really like before you started this business right yeah so um i i know a little bit but it would be it would be great if you could give like a you know as detailed as you want to be kind of like explain to us what happened yeah yeah, yeah my first uh, like uh, like uh, decade in new york city was very fascinating and uh, maybe because of some good karma, actually there is no good and bad karma, just karma. Uh, 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 you know, like uh, after th four months, I ended up, I ended up uh, like in a, the most exciting place that it could be for me in New York City. And I will explain. Uh, after staying in uh, New York City for three months and then going to Santo Domingo for 15, 16 days, I came back to New York. And my friend Ivan said, look, you know, they had a small apartment and, you know, and now he has a big house and everything. But those days, like small apartments and, you know, how long you can be with your friend and his girlfriend uh, in a small apartment. And he said, look, you know, you have to look something for yourself. And I tried to look for something and, you know, and I found a job in a restaurant uh, washing dishes. But then in meanwhile, because I didn't speak Italian, I spoke Portuguese and I had also affinity to find Brazilian people uh, because I love Brazil. I never, uh, before that, I never been to Brazil, but I was a big fan of anything Brazilian. Uh, my first, one of my first heroes in, uh, uh, since 1970 was Pelé, famous uh, soccer player. Uh, then, uh, you know, then, uh, you know, Brazil kind of uh, samba and carnival and, uh, and be uh, natural beauty and, and, and uh, beauty of Portuguese language. I was always attracted to Brazil and actually, before coming to New York, I, I say, oh, maybe I can go to Brazil. <laughs> and uh, that's another story that I can tell some other time, uh, because it's very coincidental that then my wife is actually from Brazil, uh, even though she's kind of born in Hong Kong in China, but she's virtually Brazilian. But then uh, when I, I, I found a job in a restaurant, I was looking for... Uh, a uh, friend of mine from Italy, his wife was Brazilian. And he, in those days, there is no telephone or emails. He would send postcards, a letter. And then he, they sent me a letter with the postcard, say, look, uh, his wife, he said, look, you know, check this Brazilian person that is friend of mine in, uh, in, in, uh, in New York. And I met this person, a woman uh, who, uh, um, I, you know, she invited me to uh, uh, lunch with other Brazilian friends. Some of uh, a couple of those guys were working at uh, Brazilian mission at United Nations, and we had uh, kind of uh, you know great time. I was able to speak Portuguese, and uh, but I didn't like the vibe, you know, like you know because uh, you know I'm not a religious person, but uh, somehow these people kind of uh, started talking about religion, which is kind of. Uh, born again Christian, like, you know, I respect, but that's not my thing. And somehow I kind of, uh, you know, I say, wow, my first uh, 
kind of uh, kind of uh, uh, like uh, uh, appro approaching the first Brazilian senior was for kind of fortunate because it's nice people, you know, but you know, not really my kind of thing, you know. But then, what is happening? Like you know, one guy who was at that, that uh, lunch, he was a uh, uh, some sort of attaché at a Brazilian uh, mission at you know uh, uh, in uh, uh, um, at the United Nations here in New York City, and he gave me his business card. I don't know why, but I called him because I said, oh, "Okay, other people are kind of, you know, they are who they are, but this guy maybe he knows other people." And then I called him and he invited me to his house uh, on his day off. And we had coffee, and he said, "Look, you know, you have to meet a friend of mine. His name is uh, Edilberto, uh, uh, Edilberto, and uh, he runs uh, the biggest br uh, Portuguese-speaking uh, um, uh, paper in uh, uh, three-state area, which is a New York State, uh, New Jersey State, and state of Connecticut." And uh, he gave me his telephone, and I. Called Edilberto, Edilberto Mendes, and he invited me to a Sizzler restaurant that's very close to where is the Iridium. Now there is a big Chinese restaurant just one block south of Iridium. And uh, because everybody was Brazilian there, the manager, and we had nice meal and you know whatever. And and uh, you know he's man of culture. Of uh, you know uh, he noticed that I like the music and uh, literature and history. And uh, he said, look, you know, there is a lot of Brazilians here, but, you know, kind of Brazilians that you're looking for are not this kind of Brazilians that you can see, like, you know, but there is one guy, he's a special person. He's in USA since 1971, in New York since 1972. His name is Fernando Natalici. He runs a graphic company and he's involved in a music uh, world or the world of music business in New York City. He gave me the number. I called Fernando, and uh, I met him on a, a Friday evening. He said, "Come around seven seven thirty because we are finishing day. Then I will meet you for sure." And I met Fernando Natalici, and somehow it was a kind of a friendship at the first, you know, moment. Like you know, I like his chemistry. He liked my chemistry, and then he had this graphic company studio called studio t uh, he was active since uh, mid 70s and i will come back to that what he was doing since mid 70s but i spoke to fernando and as soon as we started talking about jazz and and uh, new york city and arts and brazil you know every like three people that were, were working with him one american guy and two brazilian guys they left and we stayed until late in his place. He had finished something. We were listening to some music. He had a lot of tapes on his right side on Union Square. He had like a lot of tapes that he was recording from various radio stations, from WBGO, J stations, and uh, then John Schaefer, the famous uh, DJ, like who who uh, programs like uh, ambient and uh, new music from around the world. And then he said, "Let's have a dinner." And we went uh, and we had a dinner, and we stayed until three o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. in a place called Kiev, doesn't exist, it's a Ukrainian restaurant open 24 hours on um, uh, 2nd Avenue and 7th Street in East Village, just one block from a legendary, what used to be a Fillmore East, 
And, uh, and he told me that he lives by himself, that his wife, Brazilian wife, just left him like, you know, a month ago. And then he said, uh, okay, let's meet again. And we met next week on Friday. And again, we stayed in a place until three o'clock. And then I told him, look, you know, my friend Ivan, like, you know, look, it's a small apartment. I just started working in a restaurant and uh, I have to find a place to live. You know, now I make little money. He said, why you don't come to live with me? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm alone. I'm by myself. Like, you know, my wife, you know, I, you know, and then you, you, we hang out and I started hanging out with him and I moved to East Village on um, uh, December 1st. No, November uh, November 1st, November 1st, I met him in uh, late uh, uh, October, on November 1st, I was living in no less, no more than in East Village. East Village, if for those people that you know, it's the, the most bohemian and the most artistic part of uh, New York City. That's where in 50s you had beatniks, in 60s hippies, in 70s punks, in 80s mix of everything like uh, Ukrainians, Polish, Italians, uh, uh, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, uh, artists like, you know, like people like uh, Alan Ginsberg used to live there, like, you know, and uh, Philip Glass and uh, Joe Strummer and a lot of artists uh, like, you know, all, you know, and that's the place, you know, like a lot of legendary clubs that doesn't exist, you know, anymore. They don't exist anymore. Like uh, used to be Filmorist, Electric Circus, and uh, then CBGBs and uh, all the Cat Club, all these places. And then that was the thing, like I came to live in this village. But what is the most interesting that I started frequenting the world of Fernando Natalici. And uh, I worked in a restaurant until uh, between November and uh, like for uh, 10 months. Then one of the guys that uh, was working with him, a Brazilian guy, like decided to go back to Brazil because uh he was uh, divorced or separated but he had a daughter or son in brazil and uh, he was missing that his uh, child and uh, his uh, mother and father and his mother or father somebody was sick and he, he just left and uh, and he was sort of messenger because in those days there, there was no emails you know you don't send pdfs or uh, or photos in those days you if you do some graphic job you 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 send the proof by messenger. You go like, you know, and you go, you know, and which I actually did a couple of times when I had uh, my day off, off, like, you know, I was helping in office. And actually, uh, while I still were working in a restaurant, I had the first Macintosh, like, you know, that, they, 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 you know, they had like, we are talking about 1990. We are talking about graphics, like a Macintosh, like, you know, I already knew a little bit Macintosh when I was in Italy, but when I came, I was kind of fascinated by the computers, like, you know, it was amazing. And I started learning by myself because uh, if you teach me, you are not able to teach. I'm not able to learn from somebody else. I have to figure out by myself. And then in those 10 months that I'm working in the restaurant, of leaving Fernando and staying, uh, hanging out always in that Studio T on Union Square. And you know that place because I uh, show you, I had yeah. that room that we used to have, but that office was in front, like, uh, see, like with a beautiful view of Union Square. You know, today probably the most important part of uh, of New York City, one of the most important part. And uh, but then when I when this uh, guy Junior, 
another junior, uh, uh, went back to Brazil. Fernando said, look, you know, why you don't stop? You know, you don't need to work. And uh, you'll be messenger and you already learn computers, like, you know, and uh, you don't have to pay me rent anymore because I was paying him kind of half rent, you know. Rent was cheap, like $450, $500 a month. Like I was paying him a couple of hundred dollars a month, like, you know, and I was making $250 in a restaurant washing dishes. But then I he started paying me like uh, uh, $250, then $300 a week. Uh, and, uh, and I had a place to live because that was part of my salary because, you know, he could pay me more, but we made a deal and we became best friends. What is happening? Now I will explain what is Studio T. Mm -hmm. This fascinating person, uh, Fernando Talic. In 1971, uh, in, in, in Brazil, he, uh, he, was going, he, he studied uh, to be aviomechanic in a very famous uh, 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 school in, uh, close to Sao Paulo when still today they make those Embraer airplane, which are uh, used by many world companies. But then he wanted to go to USA and uh, he didn't, you know, he simply wanted to, you know, to go to San Francisco. But then uh, he was, uh, he traveled to Brazil, to New Orleans by sugar boat from northeastern part of Brazil. And he paid his trip working on a boat. He came to New Orleans after a couple of weeks. He went to San Francisco and he stayed there like for seven, eight months. And in the beginning of 72, he came to New York. And then because he liked photography and he liked certain kind of music, he befriended certain people. And uh, uh, due to circumstances and, and some uh, fortunate meetings with some people in downtown New York City in his village, which was very, very cheap. That's where you had the homeless, drug dealers, uh, like uh, uh, jazz musicians, uh, punks, like people like, you know, if you don't have money, if you're an artist or you're a fucked up guy, you live in East Village. But that was the place, you know, because mm -hmm. of the, you know. And then uh, he met a couple of very important people for his life. One is uh, uh, one Israeli-born uh, movie maker, Amos. Another one is uh, the late, great Hilly Crystal. Who is Hilly Crystal? Hilly Crystal is one of the most legendary uh, figures in uh, New York rock scene. This is the guy who opened in the early 70s a club in his village that was predominantly booking uh, country and Americana music and uh, singer songwriters. And the uh, club was called uh, Country Bluegrass and Blues, CBGB. But then, because uh, not so many people uh, uh, he wasn't able to book so many people in that place of that kind of music. He started booking this kind of uh, bands that were emerging in those days in New York City, like New York Dolls, uh, like uh, Blondie, uh, like Television, like uh, then David Byrne just came from Scotland to live in New York City, and uh, uh, Andy Warhol was involved with Velvet Underground. All that kind of post-Velvet Underground uh, contributed to development of this kind of art uh, a rock uh, in New York City in the early 70s. And they started playing in CBGBs. Uh, and CBGBs uh, changed the name in 73, I believe, uh, to CBGBs and OMFUG, and other music from the underground. Mm -hmm. And that place became 
probably one of the most important places in history of rock music, not just mm -hmm. in New York, everywhere in the world. That's the mm -hmm. place where, uh, like, uh, uh, police had the first gig in USA, like, you know, things like that. And then he befriended this guy, and then he befriended the other people. Then you befriend the blondie, then you uh, uh, befriend, like, um, like, uh, like, um, uh, Dexter, uh, Dexter Poindexter, uh, uh, Buster Poindexter. You, you, you befriend this kind of Andy Warhol, you befriend this kind of people from downtown scene because it was uh, like kind of a little community. And then, uh, because he, he, he was uh, very talented with photography and graphics, he said to Hilly Crystal that he would like to help him to not only to take some pictures of artists for publicity to send to newspapers like predominantly Village Voice, uh, uh, but also to uh, to do like uh, graphics. In those days, no computers. In those days, graphics is done like by, it was called paste up. Like, you know, you have like a certain machines, you make the letters, you cut them, you glue them, you, 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 you have a kind of a photo, you have to photograph the photo, you have to do the, make a certain kind of screen. And, you know, it's very complex. But Fernando actually liked that and he learned with another person and then, uh, and he, that's how he started Studio T. And uh, he was bringing those ads to Village Voice, to another legendary figure of those days, like a young woman in those days who came from Chicago, Carol Eicher. Carol Eicher was, uh, uh, she was a, 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 a junior sales representative at Village Voice. Like uh, if you are doing ads in Village Voice, Village Voice doesn't exist anymore. It's published only now four times a year, and uh, they didn't publish anything for several years. And and but in sixties, seventies, and eighties, and nineties, and early two thousand, Village Voice was the paper for New Yorkers. That's when you find everything about New York life. And at the end, there is a pages and pages of uh, uh, like virtually every show that is happening in New York, from the huge one to the smallest one. But when he was delivering this kind of uh, CBGBs and on FUG ads to uh, Village Voice, he became friends with Carol and Carol said, oh, Fernando, like, I like what you do. If somebody else uh, needs uh, kind of graphics, I can definitely recommend. And, you know, mm -hmm. and that's how Ron Delsner came. You know, Ron Delsner was a famous DJ. And then uh, he started doing shows by himself. Then uh, several years later, he uh, made a company with uh, another guy Slater, uh, Delsner Slater. Then they became a uh, uh, couple of stages later, Live Nation today. You mm -hmm. know, like uh, I met Ron Delsner, the guy who started everything, like, you know, because Fernando knew him since 75. You know? And then that's how uh, still a very close friend of mine, Chris Williamson from Rock Hotel Presents, one of the most iconic and most legendary uh, uh, rock promoters in New York who who did the first ever shows in New York, that's before my time, uh, of uh, Red Hot Chili Pepper, Nirvana, Soundgarden, you know, and uh, he was very close to, uh, close friend with, uh, you know, uh, with Prince and with, uh, with uh, Lemmy uh, from Motorhead. Actually, I had a chance later to have a drink and, 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 and bite with Lemmy. That was one of the highlights. That's pre-selfie, pre pre-iPhones. Uh, like, um, and then, you know, like, uh, and then Fernando actually, with this kind of series of uh, events, like uh, recommendations in the late 70s, in the late 80s, in, in, by 84, 85, 
he was literally doing uh, uh, ads and other kind of graphics for literally every promoter in New York City. From the guys like uh, Delsner, Slater, they were doing like big shows, to his arch-enemy and a big uh, competition, uh, John Shea from Metropolitan, who was doing, uh, you know, jet, uh, like Santana and, uh, and Grateful Dead and David Bowie and Pink Floyd, all these kind of things, to the medium-sized promoters who were uh, doing like shows at big venues like, uh, like Academy, like Ritz, like uh, Irving Plaza, to, to the clubs, like uh, literally like uh, CBGB's, uh, uh, Village Gate, Village Vanguard, Sweet Basil, Fat Tuesdays, uh, Trumps, uh, just name it, Cut Club, you know, like, name it. Like we have a book, I have to find it somewhere. Like Fernando, in 1990, he was on the top of the game. And I met Fernando Talici. And I straight from New York via three, uh, from Italy, Southern Italy via three and a half, four months in New York City, figuring out I came to the world of Fernando Talici in New York City, which means you meet people. Yeah. And uh, uh, then uh, also not only uh, record uh, like uh, venues, also labels. And he was friend of another guy who became my friend. We don't see each other because he doesn't live in New York City. He lives uh, in a kind of couple of hours north of New York, like in you know, Warwick. Jimaigo, today one of the top uh, jazz uh, um, publicists in, in USA. I befriended Jim immediately because he's a great guy and, 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 and his stories, like, you know, the guy is a jazz authority today, but he's the guy who went to Woodstock. He's the guy, he was a very young, like a teenager. He, he saw John Coltrane, you know, how many people you can meet in life that they say, I saw John Coltrane. Or mm -hmm. uh, he was at that famous uh, show at Red Square Garden when uh, somebody stole some money from the Led Zeppelin gig, like, you know, the big cash. He, uh, that gig, he was beaten by some gangs, like, you know, because he was bro Brooklyn, half Italian, half Irish, and they had gangs, like, you know, and then he was, he said, I will never ever go to any rock show, big rock show in my life, you know. And then he loved the jazz, and it beca he became a, a, a sale, like, a manager at the jazz department at the JNR. JNR is a legendary uh, store in, uh, that doesn't exist anymore in uh, uh, downtown. It was a big sort of department store where they were selling kind of, uh, you know, uh, refrigerators and uh, TV sets. And, but they had also a big record shop. And, they, and that was probably one of the best shops ever in New York City, together with the legendary, like, uh, Tower Records on uh, Broadway and Fourth Avenue. Those two shops are the best, the biggest and the best. Mm -hmm. And he was a jazz buyer, and he developed this kind of... Uh, uh, um, his future business through, through Jay's mail order companies. And then he started working for a re, a, a re, a several record labels. And when I met him, he was uh, working for several record labels. Then every time when he was uh, having a customer as an independent uh, professional, uh, he was bringing people to our, to our, uh, to do graphics with us. We are talking about Blue Note Records, we are talking about Knitting Factor Records, talking about Intuition Records, general label that had an office in the in USA, a French label Dreyfus Records that had office in the USA, many of those, small indie. And then, because uh, in those days, today's this thing doesn't exist, which is like, you know, today uh, you say, oh, Leonardo, send me Stickman or Marcus uh, Reuter or Tony Levin pictures. Boom, I go to my computer and send JPEG or whatever, you know. But in those days, 
it wasn't different. It was different. You had to have an eight by ten glossy, like mm -hmm. uh, with frame. And there is a picture of you. If you're a sax player, you carry your sax. If you're a guitar player, you carry your guitar or violin. And then underneath, he's saying record label, your manager and uh, pub yeah. publicist, blah, 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 blah. He was bringing this kind of job to us, which means that Fernando had, had to take photos of these pe people. Then suddenly, you see like uh, John Scofield, Jolovano, Ralph Towner, like, you know, Egberto Gismonti, Ayrton Moreira, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, Michael Brecker, you know, Randy Brecker, uh, you know, Nanavas Concelos, like, I, you know, like, you know, I can, I can stay here and I, I can talk for two hours, how many people, you know. <laughs> and then you, you talk to them, you know, Roswell Trad, uh, Roswell Trad, like you know, a lot of people, like from jazz, fusion, because that was kind of uh, a blues. That was what uh, uh, Jim Igo's specialty was. And 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 uh, and I said wow. And then I was able to go to see shows for free because we knew all those guys in uh, uh, record labels and promoters. And I say okay, come to the show. And then you know when Ray Charles played like a small shows like for very high price at Trump like for four or five nights, he decided that once in a lifetime he wants to play in a small club. He played this small club. Uh, uh, that uh, standing uh, uh, capacity was like 500 and sitting maybe 200. Uh, uh, doesn't club doesn't exist since early 2000. It's on 21st Street. It was on 21st Street between 5th and 6th Avenue. Then you go to see Ray Charles, and uh, and then you you see him uh, on, on on the backstage. And then uh, or when I was delivering or picking up the checks. Normally on Mondays I was going to pick up checks from our clients. And one day I went to. Uh, I don't remember which year it was like in early mid nineties. I went to a, a radio, uh, no radio, yeah, radio city hall. Nothing related to radio city hall, but the guy who's supposed to give us check that uh, Monday was at radio city hall, and it was some benefit. I don't remember. I I even don't know what kind of gig was. Something was. I didn't pay attention. I was just impatiently waiting because I was waiting. The guy was on telephone, telephone. There is a, you know, I was in a, in a, in a, in a hall, uh, sitting on sofa, you know, of course, like reading some magazines and papers every day, like, you know, just bored to myself, no Facebook, not <laughs> in the nineties and, uh, no, I felt like to chat with people and, you know, and then there is a lady coming, uh, passing by and she said, hello, darling. That was Aretha Franklin. And I said, wow, wow. Aretha Franklin said to me, hello, darling. Or like uh, a friend of ours, Cornelis Krane, he was a uh, uh, private parties promoters and he, he ran uh, various uh, danceterias and clubs like, you know, like all those clubs that I imagine New York Post uh, Club uh, uh, Studio 54. And then one day he said, look, you know, Fernando, you have to come to take pictures for, uh, you know, for Village Voice, New York Times and Time Out. And, and of course, with Fernando, I always go like, you know, there is a private party and uh, Grace uh, Jones will be playing, you know, and I went to Grace, see Grace Jones with her band and, you know, I was sort of assistant of Fernando and, uh, of course, like nobody knew who special guests are because they say, oh, there will be some special guests singing one song, you know, you just go there and you take this kind of uh, shrimp cocktails, you know, that, you know, beautiful uh, kind of uh, waiters that are going around and giving you champagne and, you know, it was some private party. Mm -hmm. But I recognized one guy on stage. It was Lou Soloff, legendary trumpet player, because she was playing with horns. 
and you know i don't know who other musicians were probably uh i can check that but i don't know uh but i just re recognized Lul solo because i i met Lul solo at, at some gigs in new york before and then suddenly just like a few meters from me there is a tiny skinny short guy very elegant passed by my uh, close to us and he goes to the stage to sing that was david bowie and you know this is not place like to to the see show this is a private party and i literally saw the david bowie like you know like three meters like six feet seven feet eight feet from me like you know and these kind of things like you know, there are many other things like you know you go to like in the uh, late 90s early 2000 i believe 2099 uh, you know my friend i already became friend with chris Williamson, and he said oh let's come to see motorhead you know you know and come to you know sit down in a, in a backstage and i said backstage and chris is somewhere like you know yelling with 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 uh with crew blah 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 it was a lemmy like you know and i had a beer and uh with lemmy and you know and sandwich with lemmy and we we chat for half hour you know and i said wow i have a i had beer with lemmy fucking kill minster you know you know <laughs> there are dozens and dozens of these situations but this was my world because imagine like you know i was the guy from southern Italy, born in former Yugoslavia, you come to New York, in a matter of a few months, you are just in an epicenter of everything that is music-related in New York City. I was fortunate. I really was fortunate. It was a karma that something, uh, you know, that's why I came to New York, because uh, subconsciously I knew it will happen. I didn't know then, but something in my, inside of myself, it will happen. See, all these kind of things, being involved in this kind of music called in New York City on a, on a actively, but like um, not passively because I wasn't because I was active doing ads and, and brochures and, uh, and 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 all this kind of graphic stuff for for them. Uh, but thanks to that, I was sort of leaving that world. Even though, mm -hmm. like New York in '90s, it wasn't like New York in 1970s, but still. 90s where uh, it was amazing decade in new york city i saw so many shows i i i uh, you know and, and and met so many people and that was kind of thing that kind of indirectly led to moonjun records mm -hmm. uh, or moonjun because of uh, one legendary jazz musician who fortunately died a few years ago trombonist legendary trombonist roswell rat I will just finish this story about Rosalind. Like I didn't know Steve Eigenbaum and Cuneiform Records before '99. Uh, then I learned about Cuneiform. I didn't know about Steve Eigenbaum. Today, Steve Eigenbaum is one of my best friends in music industry. He runs uh, Cuneiform for over three and a half decades from Washington D.C. area. But because he was releasing these albums of uh, Elton Dean and uh, archival uh, recordings of uh, Soap Machine and Phil Miller like all my kind of favorite musicians and he he tipped and he released one album of uh rosorad with elton Dean. and then because in meanwhile in 99 on a, on on a yahoo news group that it's about canterbury music run by imeric leroy which now i befriended a french guy from paris i found that uh, there is a project called software playing uh, somewhere in uh, Germany. I, I, in this moment, I cannot remember if it was Augsburg or Nuremberg. It was a jazz festival. And the project software was uh, consisting in Elton Dean, John Marshall, Hugh Hopper, and Keith Tippett. 
And because I knew that Elton recorded with uh, Roswell Rudd, and Roswell Rudd uh, was coming to our office to take photos, and he was managed by another good friend of Fernando since early 70s, very well-known uh, ethnomusicologist, Verna Gillis. She was dating in the 70s uh, uh, Don Cherry and co-managing Don Cherry. Then she was married to a very famous uh, sculptor who died. Then she managed Roswell Rudd, then they, they, they married, and Roswell unfortunately died, and she's still alive. She lives like uh, upstate New York. And uh, when Roswell came to office, I already knew him. He said, look, Roswell, can you put me in touch with Elton Dean? And he put me in touch with Elton Dean. That was some, sometimes in the December before Christmas. Because uh, for Christmas, I went with my wife and my son, who was only a year and a half old, to Western Florida for vacation. In those days, uh, no computers, uh, no, you know, I didn't check my emails for seven or eight days. When I came on January 1st in the evening back to New York, I opened my computer. One of the emails is from Elton Dean, whom I met several times in, in Italy. I wasn't his friend, but we knew each other. We went mm -hmm. to drink some drinks and you know and dinners and we were talking about music and and see all these kind of things it it's kind of somehow magically worked in my favor to life actually was very generous to me life wasn't generous to me for the first 28 years for whatever reason but then suddenly life decided to be generous because i moved to new york city okay this is life I take it and i took it and and uh, and and uh, like uh, and then I this uh, then I realized that magic is always happening. What is happening? What was happening before that somebody didn't want magic to happen. Somebody was always in the middle of the place of the place of my space, uh, saying, "No, you cannot do it. No, you are a loser. No, you are just listening music. You don't want to do this. You are very strange. You are this. You are that." Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. Boom! I came to New York. Nobody told me anything. Uh, uh, people accepted me the way that I am. And I had f uh, fortune that I was friend with Ivan, who came to New York in 85. He's a very successful man now. He moved from uh, New York, New Jersey area to Wyoming. We hear from each other from time to time. Still good friend, you know. What, what is Ivan doing? Uh, Ivan uh, uh, used to uh, uh, work for uh, uh, Benetton. In, uh, when he came to USA, and because he's a very smart guy, and uh, he uh, had opportunity to buy Little Benetton store in Fort Lee, New Jersey, just across for uh, George Washington Bridge, north northern uh, tip of Manhattan. And then after that, you know, he was running that place for many years. And then he opened the place in East Village, only one block from where I was living. And my wife started working with him, and actually my wife worked for him in Benetton, mm -hmm. and. Uh, he was uh, importing kind of Indonesia. He was already there in the 90s. And that's another kind of, uh, kind of, uh, um, that's another kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, coincidence that uh, he was going to Indonesia before I went to Indonesia. Indonesia became one of my favorite countries that I visited 31 times, you know. And then, but he was importing this kind of, uh, he was traveling to these kind of remote villages from Java and Bali and buying kind of uh, antique furniture and, uh, and uh, shipping by containers to, New York City, to a place in, uh, in uh, New Jersey, Bayonne, where is a big port. And he, was, uh, he had a guy who was fixing them and he was selling that. 
And this village uh, in the 90s became a little bit kind of fancy. Rich people started living there, like, you know, it lost, uh, started losing that kind of charm that it had before. And then he was very successful. Then uh, he lost the lease and then he decided to move to Wyoming. Right now he lives in Wyoming in the Jackson Hole, which is a very touristy place, small town, but they have a lot of tourism during the winter and a lot of tourism during the summer because it's very close to Yellowstone National Park. And during the winter time, it's a ski destination. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then that was my friend. Then I met Fernando Talici. Uh, then, you know, then so I, I met, uh, yeah, and then, then this Leo, is, is, is Fernando, is Fernando still alive? Yeah, still alive. We are not in touch. Uh, he's not doing very well, uh, I believe, you know, but we are good friends. You know, I saw him last time one year ago and I need to reconnect. But, uh, you know, he's uh, he has some difficulties like health issues. And but he, he's one of the most wonderful, most unique uh, people I ever met. And I love him very much, even though we don't see much each other. But he's, uh, you know, whoever is listening to this and whoever knew uh, Fernando Lici, he can say that he's a uh, truly outstanding, very unique. There is nobody in life like Fernando Talici. See, like you meet this, you know, I had chance to meet extremely unique people like Fernando Talici or Alan Holsworth or uh, Tony Levin, like, or uh, uh, some of them are not known. Some of them are in, uh, known. It doesn't matter. They're unique. Uh, their uniqueness, it's... Um, Somehow I'm attracted by unique person, you know, you are also unique, you know, like uh, I believe that all friends that I have there have sort of uh, uniqueness and uh, I'm attracted by these people, you know, I like when people are by them, themselves. What is happening in today's society that everybody, a lot of people, they try to be themselves, but they end up being not themselves because it's very easy, convenient not to be themselves. But for me, I don't know how to be somebody else. I don't know how to drive a car. I don't know how to uh, uh, find a job from nine to five. I, I don't know to do what so-called normal conventional people know to do. And that's how I am attracted by this kind of unconventional people. Uh, and you are unconventional people because you're artists, you know, and that's why a lot of my friends are artists or musicians and uh, unique people. And, uh, and I believe I'm unique, but I'm unique in a different, every, each of us is unique in a different way. I'm unique because I had to fight and, uh, and, and, and for my uh, personal freedom and, 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 uh, and uh, happiness. And, and, uh, do, you, do, you mind, do you mind if I ask about more details? So, no, um, no, no. so you said that uh, Fernando offered uh, you to uh, also be roommates, right? So you moved into his place. Yeah, he had... And, uh, and, that, and that was the time when you were, had like that job uh, in the restaurant you said, right? Yes. And, and so, so just for me to get a better feel for how quickly things developed, right? Very quickly. So, quick. yeah, I, it seems like everything happened in the first year almost, right? And, yeah. uh, and um, so, so basically, uh, you then officially started working for Fernando also? So like you yeah, in a, sept it was September of, uh, two, of 1991. And there is a other things like you know to say like you know tell me in uh, in 1990 i uh, met my wife and i will only reveal in my book how i met my wife because that's magic you know but that's it but then my wife decided to come to new york for a uh, couple of months and then she came in the uh, summer of 1991 and that's when i uh, uh, was fired from the it's a coincidence i was fired from the restaurant 
because I knew too much and they didn't want to have like, you know, wide European guy who, who is uh, educated to be with these guys that they are, according to them, uneducated, even though like one of the Hispanic guys was an engineer, it was my friend Nilo from uh, Peru, but you know, it is kind of, uh, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain explained uh, many times uh, how, uh, uh, you know, this world, world, world works, like, you know, they really don't want educated uh, uh, kind of uh, people to work in a, in a kitchen, you know, unless you are chef and cook. Mm -hmm. And then I was fired because, uh, you know, because whatever. And, uh, but then my wife came and she spent two and a half months here. Uh, and then when she went back to Brazil, I found another job in the restaurant for two weeks. Then I left because Fernando asked me to work with him. Then in uh, 1991, end of 1991, uh, oh, I'm sorry, in the end of 1992, I'm sorry, I went to Brazil because I love my, I felt in love with my wife. She went back to Brazil and she wasn't sure, you know, I wasn't sure, but something was appealing to me. And, and I said, I have to go after this woman. And I went to Brazil in, uh, on December 1st of 1992. I stayed for three months and in high amazing time. And then, uh, uh, we decided, and I said to my wife, let's marry in uh, Italy. I went, came back to New York in uh, March 2nd of 1993. And I went to Italy in the beginning of July of 93. She came a few days later from Brazil. And uh, because she, even though she was uh, living in, um, in uh, Brazil, she still had a British passport. And in order to, uh, because she was born in Hong Kong. And uh, in order to marry in Italy, you have to publish that you are an unmarried person. And uh, it's kind of bureaucratic thing that uh, if nobody claims in seven weeks that you are married with somebody in another country, then you can marry. And, that, uh, and then give you like a marriage license. And that uh, uh, takes seven weeks, which means for seven weeks we had honeymoon. We went to Rome, to Venice, to Florence, to Napoli. Uh, we went to Greece. We had amazing time. We stayed at my uh stepfather and mother's place beach amazing then we married on uh, september 2nd on september 3rd we took the flight from bari via paris to new york in the evening of september 3rd we both came to new york for the same reason she came to new york as me she was a dentist and then some people in brazil and some people say why you are dentist? You go to New York. Look, you know, it's not everything in money. Like, you know, if me and my wife stayed in, uh, in Italy or Brazil, we'll be doing very well. But we weren't driven by this kind of, oh, let's go to America to make it, uh, uh, to make uh, big and rich and successful. No. Uh, both of us uh, was, were looking for different kind of success. It's a personal success, liberation from the past. And that's why me and my wife are very different from each other. But uh, there is this kind of common things that unified us, that we are looking for absolute and total freedom and uh, to cut the past. Because the, mm -hmm. as I told you before, we don't live from the past, but environment and other people, they are, want to imply these things to you. But when you come to New York, it's a completely different society, big city, and then, People were asking me Italy, oh, why you do this in New York? Like, you know, 
And uh, people say to my wife, you know, how come you'll be in New York and, and work for Benetton, like, you know, in Benetton for $7 an hour, like, you know, you are a dentist, like, you know, it's not all about money. And we are very happy that we did that choice because it's not all about money. Now we have a good uh, savings. We did well, you know, and relatively well, you know, we have a son who is 23 next month and we are happy people. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, magic always happened if you go for magic. Magic always happens because magic is there. You have to yes. just be uh, available for the magic because it's a li- life is very generous. A lot of people are complainers. They say, oh, life this, life that, is somebody else. Well, no, if you stay like, uh, if you have a coffee in a coffee place with, outside on the table and you see like people passing by cars and you know, that's life. But if you are staying there to do nothing, then nothing will help in your life. But if you stand up and you go in one or other direction, if you start talking to this or that person, life is happening. Because more you are involved with life, more chance you have for life to happen and to do good things for you if you are applying what you are able to do in life. Uh, finding who you are, where you are coming from, why you are on this planet. But I notice that's why, look, I'm by nature optimistic and a positive person. Uh, I think I was like that since the beginning. Maybe that's me, but mm-hmm. that helped me. Even though I had very difficult life, especially in the first 18 years. Uh, and uh, somehow I, it's very difficult for me to be upset. Sometimes you know, I can be upset like normal people, but I, you know, I have short memory for bad things, which means that bad things happen, I forget them, you know, because I easily forget bad things, you know. I, I, you know uh, my focus is on good things, you know, because I don't have time, you know, I'm 60, like, you know, next year, in, you know, in, in, in a couple of decades, uh, I will depart this planet, you know, and why I have, I, you know, I don't have another 60 years to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want, you know, I don't want to waste my time with negative people, with uh, negativeness, with bad things. I just want to choose, like, you know, I'm, you know, I, I think it's right for us to choose where you feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable with uh, with, uh, with ne- negativeness, you know, I, I have some so-called friends, you know, that I don't see, I don't talk to them, not because I don't like them, simply because I cannot handle this kind of uh, negativeness, mm-hmm. pessimism about the world, about everything. Like, you know, if there is nothing wrong with the world, but bad things are happen- happening. They were always happened. The, the only thing that we are so spoiled that when they're happening to us, we don't know how to deal with them because, because we are spoiled by this kind of uh, consumistic, uh, superficial, shallow society that doesn't allow uh, uh, allows uh, uh, culture and education to young people that uh, we are living uh, uh, on things based on uh, uh, materialistic kind of values and not philosophical or spiritual values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why the world is fucked up. The world is okay. Uh, the people, see, more negative you are, more shallow you are, more bad things will happen to you. Look, I don't enjoy this country, didn't enjoy this country last six years because of this idiot that was uh, a president. Who is, this, is, this is still out of my mind, how somebody ho- so idiot can be uh, uh, liked by so many people. And I criticize him because I'm a public person. I have my right to criticize things because I'm a public person. I'm not famous, but I am known guy. And mm-hmm. I cannot say nothing. I'm not 
from left, I'm not from the right. People mm -hmm. say that I'm communist, that I'm socialist, that I'm this, I'm that, I'm democrat, liberal, libertarian, this and that. I'm nothing. And this is the problem because we have to say what is wrong with the world without taking part of this or that part. But it's impossible because people are not like that. People are bipolar. Everybody's bipolar, like, you know, like, you know, you know, binary, like, you know, the world is divided in two, like there is always antagonism. I don't want to live in a world that is antagonistic. I want to yeah. live in a world that is, uh, you know, that's why I, you know, I have to be unfortunately selective, you know, I don't have time to lose waste with the people that, you know, I, you know, fortunately, I have a lot of friends, and I know a lot of good people. That's my luck, because I applied this kind of philosophical, spiritual criteria in a very organic way to the life. That's why I always meet new people that are great people. Mm. And uh, it's, it, I'm not saying that that's luck. I, you know, maybe I say that I'm lucky, but I don't know if that's luck. It's just that how things are, if you are doing things in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I'm, I'm actually, rather than saying lucky, I'm a fortunate person. And, uh, and I have so many friends. And I would like to have more friends, new friends, to reconnect mm -hmm. with old friends. Because it's never enough, because I learn from everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, uh, you weren't my friend until 10 years ago. We became friends. I learned a lot of things from you and vice versa. We exchange uh, ideas and things. Then I meet other people, and, and you know this is this is the this is a great thing for me. Like you know, I cannot just focus on. Of course, I have certain people that because of uh, proximity of them here in New York, I'm spending more time with them, and I love them all. But I love everybody that I like. You know, and you know, it's uh, it, 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 this is my world. You know, like you. Know. Yeah, you're you're a real. Uh... I don't even want to use the stupid word master of that, but you are more than that. You're like, a, you've become sort of like a genius. Um, um, and I don't have a word for this. Like, it's not that you're, you're like a spiritual connector in a way, right? Like you're, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to me that sort of like this life that you described from the 90s <clears throat> where basically uh, you know it's uh, correct me if i'm wrong but it feels like it was also some sort of you like some sort of hypnotic kind of trance coming to the big city and yeah. having these opportunities and yeah. like one thing leads to the other uh, and and you have like you meet these great people and everything is like impressions impress more impressions and 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 sort of like building your uh your personality and your openness and and building your uh, your antennas also for people and and for uh, uh relationships and and all of these things and yeah because uh, i i got some so much negativeness in my life and i lived in old world that uh, when i came to the new world to new york i had to develop that kind of uh, uh thing like uh, having antennas yeah. for my uh, you know for my own protection yeah. and uh from my own wellness you know and 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 uh, and happiness you know like you know uh you know like uh you know bill bruford i'm good friend with bill you know and he said that i'm enabler he's probably the first person who used that old enabler yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah actually I, I i i 
I am enabler because uh, it's my nature. Because, uh, see, like, uh, coming back to you and La Casa Murada, I told you that several times. When we went first time in February of 2016, and, um, uh, like, you didn't know so much on, well, Asaf and, 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 and Mark Winfield and Yartavi, and uh, you guys, like, were doing some amazing music in those two days. And uh, when I heard you uh, playing, like, I, that was direct connection to myself because you, like, if you're a musician, you play with two musicians that you feel that they can connect with you. Then you play and you see there is a connection. I'm applying that to life, you know, like, you know, I connect to people and things are happening. And the most magic things of all is how Yaron came to the picture. That's the that's one of the most magic things that ever happened, like Hazel Murada, because he came to hang out with his good friend Asaf to record album with uh, Mark and Asaf. And he came one day earlier, you know, because he wanted to spend day in this beautiful place that he never been, and and he, you know, he came by train from Barcelona, and you know, with a couple of bottles of great wine, and you know, and sat down, and he's a happy guy, and uh, you know, and. And in good spirit and uh, smiling and amazing human being and and then after this kind of hey look you know and we say look you know Yaron you know look you know <laughs> what are you doing here like you know you don't do anything today you have to record tomorrow but you know you have a bass there is a studio there is a recording engineer there is a musician go there and play and magic yeah. happen you know and mm -hmm. this is this is the magic pure magic for me and yes. you know and uh, yeah. and uh, and uh, th but that's how things in life happen you know like uh, mm -hmm. you have to. You have to go, like you know. You you have to, you have to follow, like you know, follow your heart, like you know, John McLaughlin's tune. Follow, you know, follow my heart, and because you know, you know, you know why things are happening. Leo, I have I have another another idea here because so I know you as like mostly a sober person, right? Like and and like very sober. Right. I and never was drunk in my life. <laughs> but and I as you know, I, I like to drink. Yes, 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 I know. But you know, just thinking of you coming to uh, to New York and the rush of all the events, like a decade of 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 uh, amazing experiences. Um, it must have I mean I'm just I'm just just you know, it must have been intoxicating in some way. Right, it's, and I'm not. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's good thing to you know, like you know, I I never did drugs in my life. I never was drunk in my life, uh, but uh, I'm uh, intoxicated by things that I like. You see, uh, I finally uh, can say that I like what I do. I do what I like, mm -hmm. and I don't make uh, so much money that I could make if I do things that I don't like. Because uh, most of the people you know that I know make except musicians, you know. We don't make so much money in this crazy music, but you know, a lot of people that I know, they make much more money than I do, and but they are doing things that they like. Mm -hmm. But I'm happy with making little money because I I, I feel rich because I have so many friends, I have so much experience, and I'm really not you know I like to have money, but you know I'm not into the money like you know money, it's important, but that's not the most important thing in my life, you know. And uh, unfortunately, in this kind of Western uh, 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 society. It's everything is money, 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 like a big car, big house, uh, how much money you have in the bank, how much uh, on your stock market. I, you know, I, I even don't know what stock, you know, I know what stock market, I, you know, I, 
that's not my thing. Like, you know, who cares? Like, you know, I, I, I do things what, you know, I, I'm happier to do what I like because then I'm happy. Like, you know, I, you know, and, you know, I, maybe some people are happy with that, but then they, they are not happy because they're happy while things are well, do, uh, going well. But then if something is wrong, they're very unhappy. And uh, in my world, even when things are not happening in the way that I want, there is always a certain remedy, uh, mm. you know, because we live in an abstract world, me and you, and uh, other people live in a real world. But I always say that that real world is actually, that's the abstract world. And the mm. abstract world that we are living, that's actually a real world. <laughs> and once we accept mm. that abstraction as a real world, we are doing mm. okay. Yes. And uh, uh, then uh, we are not crazy, they're crazy, and uh, we are just normal. <laughs> and, mm. uh, you know, it's a just different point of view. Uh, they don't have to agree with us, and I'm not saying I'm right, but that's my impression that sometimes I see that a lot of these people are, uh, like, um, unhappy with life, you know. I know, like, a lot of people that have a lot of money, they're envy, uh, envious because I'm doing what I'm doing. And mm. which means that yeah. money cannot buy everything, like you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, you know, in last year and a half, I, I, I had a very difficult, difficult time. You know, as you know, we all who are doing this kind of uh, crazy business, we had difficulties. Like, fortunately, I had some little help from government, but it's still difficult because no matter how much you plan things, then uh, tours are postponed and cancelled. Then you know, then even if you want to uh, book them again, then you. Uh, see that other musicians who are playing certain projects, they have to tour with other guys. And then it's becoming kind of crazy. But, uh, and I don't know when I will start uh, making some money with something that I was making money for 20 years, which is a booking. I don't make any money with a label. You know, I made very little money or no money. But, uh, you know, the world is strange. But, you know, even if it's strange, it's not the end of the world. I know a couple of friends and without mentioning their names, and you know them some, they think, oh, it's the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, for me, it's a, it's the beginning of the world. Like, you mm -hmm. know, like, uh, mm -hmm. yes, the, you know, this idiot is not president of USA and who cares? Like, you know, and, uh, you know, but it's that, you know, we have these COVID things. We have uh, uh, like a natural, uh, this kind of di uh, di natural disasters that are caused by, uh, uh, you know, like uh, this kind of global warming, whatever. But uh, the, the world is, will not end. Uh, the, the humanity, if we continue in this way, humans will end, but the world will stay there. The world is there, like yeah, you know, earthquakes and uh, and uh, typhoons and uh, and, uh, and uh, inundations and you know whatever you know natural disasters and the world was always there and it will be yes. always there and forever. Yes. Uh, and uh, but and and maybe media is telling us that things are so bad. But if you go to real life, I mean. We are talking about different levels of real life. See, like when I was uh, uh, recently in Spain, you know, like, you know, here in USA, everybody's panicking. People on the left, on the right, on the center, panic, panic, panic. Like, you know, everybody's afraid of something. They will die. They, you know, this and that. Like, you know, I'm not going to die. If I have to die, I will die. If I, you know, but I don't think in that way. Like, you know, but I, when I was in Spain, I see like these people, they are not nervous. And actually me and Beledo, we were in Barcelona in a couple of towns and we kind of making kind of ironic jokes with the, our friend Boris. I say, look, these kind of uh, nervous people, you know, like they are so worried about life. I mean, it was uh, irony, uh, like uh, very ironic because people were kind of relaxed, 
you know, they're drinking their drinks, they're eating, they're smiling. You come here, like everybody's nervous, like, you know, and everybody's, uh, you know, wh why is this? Like, you know, it's, uh, media is uh, kind of uh, influential, yeah. Uh, yeah. but, but we, you know, we have to live our life, you know, like, you know, like how, you know, people lived life during the second world, like, you know, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we, you know, but, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I have options, you know, I have options. <laughs> See, like, Leo, Leo, let's, um, I, I don't think we should talk about Moon June more today because we can no. do like a third part at some point, yeah. but I, I would like to, uh, understand uh, when did Studio T uh, end for you? Like, I know that you were in those in that office till a few years ago, but when when did Studio T stop? And um, without okay. talking too much about Moonjo, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, Studio T, uh, like, uh, like in two thousand two, we, uh, you know, because of the uh, mega gentrification of uh, downtown New York and uh, Union Square, which in the 70s and 80s was very dangerous part of town. Uh, a lot of drug dealing, a lot of, uh, you know, people, you know, uh, like crime. But uh, Union Square now is the one of the most uh, uh, expensive parts of New York City. And then, uh, of course, landlords, they need money and they want more money. And that's the capitalism. And then uh, they came, uh, you know, like manager of the building came to us and said, look, you know, uh, we need to raise your rent and he wanted to double the rent and you know and the business already like you know started going down for other reasons that it's not necessary to to talk about that uh, right now and we moved to uh west 29th street and i was there for another two years and uh, uh 2003 2004 then on january 1st i moved to that room that you know in union square because we used to have that room as a part of Studio T, that's where room where Fernando uh, was taking pictures. As I told you, like you know, where is my was my computer next to my next to the wall, and all those posters of Robert Fire, Swap Machine, and Alan Holdsworth and uh, Leorme and Bank, all these kind of things. PFM. That was the wall where Fernando has all those back, backdrops, backgrounds, like you know, and then that's where Giovanni and, and and you know. And Hamid Blue at Fold Saxophone Quartet came like to take pictures, like you know, photos for publicity. And uh, but in two, I I uh, already started Moon June, but in those days I I I had another uh, kind of uh, little crisis. Uh, every time, from time to time, we humans have crisis, you know, like you know, yeah. there is a cycles. But I had some crisis. I didn't know what to do in my life, you know, because uh, Studio T was kind of going to the wrong direction for financial reasons i lost a lot of money that's another uh things that i don't want to discuss now but one day i will say that you know my in my book and uh then i said okay i will start my own gig and uh on uh i still kept friendship with uh, one indian guy from uh, uh, Brit uh former british Guiana from south america who was friend of my prasad uh, in building and you know he was my friend and uh i was going there like at least once a week to say hello to have coffee and one day he told me that that room that we had for Urgev is free because they had kind of a, den a dental lab they were making a lot of noise they were making uh, noise making dentures they had to leave and he said talk to manager it's gonna free next month that was around uh, thanksgiving 
And then I went to see manager and I get that room for a very cheap price because, as you see, there is no windows. There is only one small window facing another room. But that was beginning of the official beginning, January 1st, 2005. It was actually official beginning of the new moon, June. Before mm -hmm. that, it was just trying to figure out. And I was moon, June records by accident with only three releases. Then I started doing other things. And, and then things started flying, especially after 2007. It's, it's amazing, Leo, that, that so when, I, when we got to meet, when we met each other for the first time, became friends, yeah, that was like say maybe six years of of the new moon June, and yeah. now it's already ten years that we know each other. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. it's you know, look, uh, you know, it, it was like yesterday, but uh, yeah. uh, see, like you know, uh, things are happening, and uh, mm -hmm. you know why they're happening? Because they're happening. You know, like it's very simple. <laughs> you know, uh, always something's mm -hmm. happened because it's hap mm -hmm. it happens. You know, and. Uh, mm -hmm. And you have just to kind of uh, figure out, uh, you know, try to find your space. Of course, uh, being in a in a city like New York, you are naturally able to choose to have options. If I'm in a, in Alaska, or if I'm in Namibia, or in middle of Mongolia, probably I will not have so many choices because of environment. But I was in the right environment for me, uh, surrounded by. Uh, world that is giving you so many options and when you have so many options then it's easy to navigate and you just go you know because i have this kind of uh, kind of uh, disorders that i am able to control very often right today but sometimes i'm not able to do it. that's why sometimes i'm not able to talk in the way that i'm talking today and uh, but that forced me to think to use my brain for other things to survive mm -hmm. and uh, my survival is just being the way that i am that's mm -hmm. the that's my tool to survive just be yourself yes I, I don't think there is no of course you know we have to deal with uh with unpredictable things in life you know you never know like you know you can walk on the street and 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 building can go, drop down on you and you can die you know you don't ever know what's happened you know mm -hmm. you can fly you know and you know you never know but uh, but uh, in the most of the cases, ninety nine percent of cases, if I use my survival instinct, I would be just okay. And every time when I had difficulties, emotionally I get through so much stress, and financially uh, uh, with Studio T, and with another thing later, it's a stress. But then when stress hits you, uh, then hits you so hard that you have to think about so many different options to survive then you are you know like this like you know and then you know because that's my thing like you know i'm i i'm i'm a natural fighter like dwiki Ravan, my friend and your friend i know him for many years and he said that i'm a three-headed dragon <laughs> because my name is leonardo which uh, it's a, actually germanic name it's not italian it's germanic name that became popular in southern Italy because uh, Pope uh, promised the Germans uh, a, la a piece of southern Italy in exchange to accept Catholic religion. And uh, Leonardo is a Leonhard, Leonhard, like a lion's heart, like a, a brave as a lion. That's my name. And uh, then I'm a Taurus in a Western horoscope. And in Chinese horoscope, I am a tiger. I don't believe in horoscopes, but I like symbology. And 
And uh, according to Dwiki, the three-headed dragon has uh, three heads. It's a dragon, you can fly, but it's a dragon that has three heads with bull, tiger, and uh, lion. And uh, it's a symbology that actually applies to me because I'm like that. I'm actually relatively shy uh, and a uh, person with my insecurities, but I'm also the guy that, you know, I like to jump. Whenever I see opportunities, I like to jump. Mm -hmm. and, and, and because but it's always good jump like you know like like tiger you are waiting like you know in a and, and then you jump like you know the only thing that uh, my victims are not for uh, to eat but my so-called victims are to be friend and to establish some sort of relationship uh like uh, with those people to do something that uh, i like that is useful for my life <laughs> jumping into the situation but it's always fight and uh you know and uh you know like uh, the, you know the world is full of symbology and uh you know i uh and uh yeah that's how it is leo thank thank you so much because you you gave me a very uh, good motivational push today um pointing out a few very obvious things <laughs> that you that you do that you are sort of like a, an, See, inspiration, a, an inspiration yeah. for me I don't remember there was a musician i don't remember who was like i you know but they said i am i the master of obvious because what is happening that uh uh obvious can be compared to something that is ban banal but uh but most of the people they don't accept obvious side of life yeah. because if you are aware of obvious then you are, uh, have sense for common sense mm -hmm. and you can deal with your life and survival and all your emotional side but what is happening like people always try to theorize to put some theories which is fine uh, but then if you come back to real life you see that the obvious things are those that always work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh but you have just to uh, take those obvious things with philosophy and spirituality and with right those of uh, of courage and uh, awareness and uh, intelligence and it's okay but the world is actually it's very obvious it's obvious that we are alive and it's obvious that we have to live our life until we are dead it's obvious and it's mm -hmm. obvious that we have survived it's obvious that we have a uh, procreate if we can that we have to be uh, not um, uh, kind of uh, passive uh citizens of the world but active unfortunately most of the humanity is passive maybe that's good but i i believe that me and you and people like me and you we are active citizens of this world there are so many passive citizens even though that they claim to be active but they're so passive because they don't accept this obvious side which is uh you know the simplicity of life like uh, it's good to feel uh, to Put, uh, like to use philosophy and a theoretical explanation this and that blah 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 like when i was young i was reading kafka dostoevsky and all these kind of things say no no that's too much freud kafka dostoevsky that's too much let me go to the life mm -hmm. and uh, yes. and then you learn those, those things in your life and it's so obvious mm -hmm. and uh, but anyway it was nice talking to you Wonderful, I hope Leo. to see you uh, sometime soon. We will, and, and uh, let's 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 do part three in a couple yeah. of months, and yeah. uh, we'll have uh, hopefully some uh, 
nice tourings next year. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> we have some really amazing albums coming out. Cool. So. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Leonardo. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much and uh, talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye for now. Bye-bye.